We're back. Another episode of the Defending Confirmed podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Russell. And today we're going to be talking about friendly fire. We're going to be talking about the dangers of being on the right side of the social justice debate. And when we say right side, we're not putting that in air quotes. <laughs> right? We think that there's yeah. a right side and a wrong side. We think that a, a critical theory-based understanding of justice is wrong. It's unbiblical. It's dangerous. Um, and by the way, for the rest of the episode, uh, we're just going to call that being woke. Yeah. We're a little hesitant to do that. Yeah, we don't... When, when we say woke or we talk about wokeness, uh, we really don't mean that in the pejorative right. sense. There's there's a lot of people who throw that around, um, kind of like the term snowflake, just yeah. just to be mean. Social justice warrior. Uh, and maybe we, sh- you know, maybe there's a better word we could use. But I don't know what it is. It's pretty good shorthand. Yeah, we're just trying to be concise. Yeah, um, like a woke conception of justice. Yes. So we think there's a right and a wrong side. You know where we stand. We've yep. done a, all. We've done the series. Um, but today we're gonna be kind of trying to clean up. Our side of the aisle, yeah. you know, we're going to be trying to tidy up our own ranks. Russell, do you think like this has been a long time coming? Uh, it's getting more necessary as time goes on. I think you know, that's right. We, when we did our series on CRT, we were one of the few people out there that was really digging into that material and talking about it. We're not trying to be a hipster, but we really were ahead of the curve yeah. on that. Yeah. And so now that it's, uh, you know, it's it's spreading out amongst evangelicals, you're yeah. hearing more and more. Uh, pastors and and talking heads mm-hmm. dealing with this subject, and many people who we would agree with in their judgments about particular aspects of this, yeah, their opposition to it. We just don't like the way they're handling it. Yeah, and we want to kind of nip that in the bud if we can. Yeah, uh, to to speak to how necessary this is, I was really surprised. I created a private Facebook group for us, and by the way, if you're one of our fans and haven't joined that yet, go join it. Wait, am I in that group? Uh, you should be soon. <laughs> okay, so uh, I posted a poll, and I said, "Which which would you which episode would you like us to do next?" And I think I had one about like should should you be rebaptized and some other, and one of them was this friendly fire, you know, blah blah blah. And I didn't expect anybody to vote for that, right? It got the most votes by like a factor of three. So it's like Biden. Okay, sorry. moving on. Sorry, sorry. sorry. No, it's okay. So uh, apparently, this needs to be addressed. So. Yeah. Um, let's begin. Uh, Russell, can you sort of just give us the thesis statement of this episode? Yeah. So, uh, let's make it real clear. Uh, we think wokeness is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but our response to wokeness, meaning those who agree with us and us can itself be just as dangerous mm-hmm. if we're not careful with the way that we critique and respond to wokeness in the church. So your grandma's right. Sometimes the cure can be worse than the disease itself, or at least just as bad. We think that uh, the dangerous responses to critical theory, to wokeness, uh, coming from our side of the aisle, we we think that they come in two forms. The first is an overestimation of how dangerous wokeness is, right? We think it's bad. Mm -hmm. We think it's dangerous. There are some people who are saying that it's so dangerous that we actually can't agree with them on that. Yeah, so right? they, they would say perhaps it's the greatest threat to Christianity in the world right now. Perfect example. The second danger, then, is an overreaction to that perceived threat. Yeah. Do you want to add your thing now? Yeah. <laughs> I like how you say, do you want to do your little part? Come on, throw you. <clears throat> and I just want to add, when, when we say that CRT is dangerous or wokeness or C- is dangerous, yeah. um, let's let's talk about what that means, because mm-hmm. we actually did this back when we did our series on this. The danger is primarily a danger to the unity of the church. Mm-hmm. So when we say that our reaction 
to wokeness can be just as bad. It's the same thing. We're saying that there is a way you can respond to wokeness that is a a real threat to the unity of the church. An equal and opposite threat to the unity of the church. Yes. Fantastic point. Uh, Let's also be clear that there are forms of wokeness that we would say are out and out unchristian. Oh, yeah. Right. That this would be a first order issue, right? Like you have compromised the gospel. But the vast majority of the wokeness that Christians are interacting with in the church and so on and so forth, it's it's one or two steps down from that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, uh, we're going to explore these two dangers through three different lenses. So if you're sitting there like taking notes, two dangers viewed through three lenses, and they are the lens of experience. And we're just going to talk about our experience, and maybe it'll resonate with you. The lens of history, we're going to dig particularly into the Reformation. And then the lens of scripture, which will be the most important. So we're kind of moving lens. from maybe a little anecdotal to hard truths. Yeah, yeah. Moving from one, two, three. Got it. Yeah. Or three, two, one on order of importance. So let's uh, let's start with our experience. Uh, Russell, I think we can both say that it has been our experience that many, uh, too many of our friends on the right side of the social justice debate have have done these things. They've overestimated the danger of wokeness, and then they have overreacted to that. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, and I, I think some of that's just the volume. Mm. You know, we, we tend to hear from people who take the strongest and most hyperbolic stance. That's just the way that social media these days works, for, yeah. for one. Uh, and so they tend to get the biggest uh, amplification of their point of view. Yeah. And and yeah, so that, that means when you go on Twitter, when you go on Facebook, when you start reading blogs, you're going to hear uh, from the people who have the, the the highest estimation of the danger of wokeness. Yeah. And that can, that can really affect the culture around us, particularly mm-hmm. the evangelical culture. Yeah, it can be a real negative uh, snowball. Yeah. So let's talk about this overestimation. The point that we want to make here is that wokeism is really just the newest... Uh, you know, piece of liberal theology to wash up on the shores of evangelicalism, yep. right? Now, to be clear, we do think that wokeness, although it's not as dangerous as some people are saying, it is more dangerous than something like baptism, for example, right? Like if your view on infant baptism, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. We have, and again, though, you have the the ideology of CRT, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have the way that that wokeness is expressed in Orthodox Christian churches. Yeah, uh, that second category. Christians who have just adopted some of these more liberal ideas yeah. uh, is by and large uh, much less of a concern than the heresy of Arianism. Yeah. But it's also a bigger deal than something like our disagreements on yeah. baptism. Covenantal understanding of baptism. Yeah. So we want to say that uh, Christians who kind of are getting their Stuart Little thing going on right now, you know, the sky is falling. That's Chicken Little. Stuart okay. Little's the mouse. Oh, man. You know, here's you had the a thing. rough childhood. <laughs> I had a rough childhood. Whatever they're doing, the sky is falling. We want them to understand that there's always an enemy at the gates. Yeah. Right? There's always some scheme of Satan that's trying to invade the church and undermine the gospel. It's always been that way. It will always be that way. Uh, you know the... Uh, this is one of your favorite movies, Men in Black, <laughs> with... Uh, will Smith. Will Smith and... Don't do this. This is not my favorite. Okay, movie. this is your favorite movie. I thought you said it was okay. I thought you said it was in your top five. Yeah. Okay. okay no. Well, uh, but you gave me this quote. That's weird. So from Russell's favorite movie, Men in Black, uh, K says to J, Agent K says to Agent J, "There's always an Archelian battle cruiser, or a Carillion death ray, or an intergalactic plague that is about to wipe out all of life on this miserable little planet." 
That's true in the church. Yeah. We have our own Archelian battle cruisers, Corellian death rays, and intergalactic plagues. Yeah, this, right? is, this is nothing new. No. We had to deal with Gnosticism in the first couple hundred years of the church, and then right after that we had Arianism, which, by the way, utterly ravaged the Western church for 400 years. And then what came after that? A thousand years Rome. of darkness and the medieval Roman Catholic Church. And and then there's just a thousand other isms that are... Revivalism. It just, it, it just keeps going. Yeah. And if the Lord tarries, we will have to contend with a thousand more threats to the church. So we, what we want to say here is we shouldn't go full code red over wokeness like it's the first or even the most unique threat to yeah. orthodoxy that the church has ever we're, faced. We're just trying to zoom out and mm-hmm. relativize this specific issue. Yeah, calm down. Every, everybody calm down, okay? Uh, moreover, we're not even convinced that wokeness is even the greatest threat to the church in our day. Yeah. Are we crazy? No, we're, we're doing theological triage. Yeah. Uh, is it a serious threat? Yeah. Is it the most serious threat? I really don't think so. Tell us one or two other things that you think are more threatening to the church today than critical theory. Uh, attractionalism, the, that pragmatic model of ministry that turns churches into darkened movie theaters where you pick your time and go watch a performance and then leave. Uh, no meaningful membership, uh, watered-down theology just leads to nominal Christianity. Yes, preach, brother. And then we would say the the missions expression of that same impulse, the multiplying yeah, movements. Yeah, the stuff which, we just talked about for weeks. Yeah, and the thing is, both of those are doing the same thing. They are uh, inoculating the, the population to Jesus. And, and here's why we think it's a bigger threat. Yeah. Is because it's already everywhere. And so few people care or seem to notice. <laughs> yes. That's why it's a bigger threat. Yes. I'm less concerned with wokeism because look, everybody's super on edge about it. Dude. That we're yeah. aware of it. Yeah. It can't sneak in the back door mm-hmm. if everyone's talking about it constantly. It's not insidious. Yeah. Right. Um, so to summarize, wokeness, dangerous, but not even the greatest threat to the church in history or in our current age. Sure. Now, okay, let's move on to the overreactions that we've seen seen to this. And we've broken these down into three categories, okay? The, the first category of overreaction is when people on our side of the aisle uh, only and always treat this as a matter of first importance. Yeah. Now, Russell, what do I mean by there? What do I mean there by a matter of first importance? You mean... Uh Really, what what it boils down to is what are those things that are essential to the Christian faith that we would call orthodoxy mm-hmm. that are non-negotiable? Non- if you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. Yeah. If so a the, church rejects it, they're not a true church. That's right. Okay. So do you believe in the Trinity? Do you believe the essentials of the gospel? Do you believe in who and what Jesus is? Yeah. Th- these are all basic things that y- you can't mess around with that. Yeah. Um, and those issues, those issues of first importance being necessary for orthodoxy have to be super clear. Yeah. Because if you start adding things to that list that aren't truly essential for mm-hmm. being an orthodox Christian, well, now you're you're essentially inserting division into what should be Christian liberty. Absolutely. And, and you, you are, uh, you're trying, the irony is you're trying to protect the gospel, but yeah. you're actually not protecting it. You're opening it up. You're making it more vulnerable. Yes. And that's not to say that other issues of secondary or tertiary importance aren't important. Very important. They're super important, but we have to be clear. Are they essential to Christian orthodoxy? Yeah. Or are these things that Christians in good conscience yeah. can, can continually disagree about yeah. and still be brothers in the Lord? And let's be clear, this is not, uh, this theological triage wasn't invented by some Southern Baptist or Presbyterian theologian or some medieval scholastic, right? This is directly from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 
uh, verse three, I deliver to you as a matter of first, first importance. importance. Okay. So we're trying to be biblical here yeah. by saying some things are really important, even if they're not a matter of first importance. Now, Russell, can you uh, explain to me, like I'm an eight-year-old. <laughs> Waiting for that. <laughs> can you explain to me how wokeness is not a matter of first importance? Well, it can be. Okay. And this is important. So if you look at the truest expression of CRT, you know, that that monster that's the melding of Marxism and postmodernism and, and all the other isms that we unpacked in our previous series. Yeah. You can't hold to those beliefs and be a Christian. Mm -hmm. It's just, they're just flatly opposed to Christian truth. Yeah. Uh, however, the way that that idea has sort of um, trickled down, trickled into society yeah. and affected simple things like historical and social judgments mm -hmm. on particular issues, yeah. um, simple things like how do you define racism, simple mm -hmm. things like how do you explain this socioeconomic disparity, mm -hmm. you can you can come to the wrong judgments on those things yeah. and not embrace all of the bad ideas that lead to that. So, for example, you can embrace the concept of white privilege, which is born of critical theory, yeah, and in no way abandon the gospel. Right. Or you could embrace all of it and absolutely abandon, abandon the, gospel. the gospel. And so yeah. that's, that's why you can't, as a blanket statement or as a generalization, say, oh, you believe in white privilege? Well, I have to disfellowship with you. Absolutely. Um, you, you don't know that that's true until you talk to that brother or sister. And 99% and of the time, you're not talking to a Marxist. Yeah. You're talking to somebody who's just picked up something from the zeitgeist, you yeah. know, the, the culture at large, yeah. and adopted it as their own, probably without even really understanding everything it means. Yeah, just recently I heard uh, a Southern Baptist minister um, use the word deconstruct. And I know for a fact that in his mind that word doesn't mean what it means in liberal circles, right? right? He's just picked it up. It's just the language that yeah. people are using. That's It's exactly a hashtag. And so what we're concerned about is people uh, who are right about matters of social justice, who are so up in arms, who are so tense, who are so on edge, that anytime they hear anyone say or, or see anyone say or do anything that even is re remotely connected to that, that they want to treat it as a matter of first importance. Yes. That's dangerous. That's sinful. And it has the potential to divide the church in ways that are just as disruptive as critical theory itself. Amen. Okay, next. Second-level separationism. Russell, are we fundamentalists? <laughs> I, I like to think so. Yeah, I think so, too, in the J.I. Packer yeah. fundamentalism in the, in the Word of God kind of way. But there is a pejorative sense in which that word can be used, right? And, yeah. And that's the uh, everything out there is bad and scary, so we're just going <laughs> to have our little homeschool farm, and all our women are going to wear white dresses. And Am I getting carried Denim away? Denim dresses. Denim dresses, right? Yeah. And uh, anything from the world, if it even touches us, we're going to go scrub it off as yeah. quickly as we can, okay? Now, one of the tendencies that you can see in fundamentalists circles, and by the way, we're not using that term as an epithet because so many people call us fundamentalists, right? Uh, in, the, in the bad way, but um, one of the tendencies of fundamentalists is second-level separationism, right? It's the idea that this person has compromised in some way, and because I am somehow vaguely connected to you, therefore... I have compromised in the same way just through my connection, and yes. therefore you have to disconnect from me. Yes. So uh, let me just give you some examples, okay? The first is John Piper and Rick Warren. Uh, now, a few years ago, John Piper invited Rick Warren uh, to uh, speak at one of his pastor's conference, uh, one of the plenary speakers. Um, I think we would agree, Russell, uh, that that was a bad idea. 
Yeah, I'm no fan of Rick Warren. Yeah. So uh, we would say at best, that's really, really, really unwise of him, right? This is a, a pastor's conference dedicated to training men for the ministry, and you invited Rick Warren. Yeah. Should I then disfellowship with John Piper because he decided to publicly fellowship with someone that I wouldn't fellowship with? Mm, interesting question. Yeah, I think the answer to that has to be no. Yeah, I agree. If 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 you disfellowship with anyone who has fellowship with people that you would not necessarily fellowship with, you're going to end up alone. And you know, yeah. and I know some people love to view them. I'll be the prophet in the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah, but we're not talking about disfellowship disfellowshipping over things like that will send people to hell, right? Right. We're talking about matters of prudence, right? You believe the gospel, I believe the gospel, but we've made a different decision here. Uh, how, how do I want to say that? We've made a different decision here. Well, fundamentally, John Piper did not adopt all of uh, Rick Warren's beliefs yeah. just because he invited him to the conference. That's right. And that's what's key there, is that John Piper is making a judgment about the wisdom of including a guy in a... You know, it's not a it's not an a event. church function. Yeah, it's not a right. gathering of. It is a ministry people. event. It's a ministry event. Yeah. Um, he's not having him preach at his church on Sunday. Yeah. put it that way. It's yeah. a slight difference there, uh, but he's making a judgment about whether or not there are aspects of this guy's ministry that could be useful to this. He's not adopting everything that that Rick Warren believes. He's yeah. not in agreement with everything Rick Warren believes. And though I might say, yeah, that's not wise. Yeah, don't do that. That's not the same thing as saying, well, John Piper is now a carbon copy of Rick Warren in theology. Yeah, and he's compromised the gospel, Yes, right? Another example, I, I know of a solid brother who went to go preach at a conference where they were hosting prosperity gospel preachers. Mm -hmm. I think he was wrong for that. I think Scripture plainly says you should not have, uh, you know, extend the right hand of fellowship to those people. You shouldn't receive them into your home, which is, you know, uh, having any kind of public association with them. Uh, but I didn't. I, I didn't say, "Oh, because you're wrong to do that tactically, you are therefore no longer a Christian minister." Right. Right. Okay. Um, Can I just make a quick comment on that? Of course. I, if I was invited to to preach or speak at a prosperity gospel conference, I would go. You, but you'd go. Burn it would the be house the down. last time I was ever <laughs> right. invited. Just want to. I would just say, there's. It's not always wrong to go. Yeah, that's that's uh, right. Yeah. How, their reception and response to what you have to say may indicate whether or not you went for the right reasons. Amen, brother. Another example would be uh, uh, Thabiti Anyabwile. His, yeah. um, listen, he has gone in a direction that we would not go, we will not go on, on matters of justice and race. Um, but man, he wrote the best book on finding faithful elders and deacons that I think has ever been written. Now, I have chosen to still use that book um, in our church to find faithful elders and deacons. Now, some people would say, how could you do that? Well, it's pretty easy, actually. He's not a heretic. Yeah. I disagree with him about certain secondary matters of doctrine. I use Presbyterian books. I've written, used books written by Anglicans who are probably closer to heresy than Tabidi is, right? Um, so even though I may, in some areas, vehemently disagree with stuff that he says and does, uh, he has not become a heretic, and I think this is a fantastic book, and I'm still going to sing it. In the same yeah. way that I'm going to still sing the song, uh, It Is Well, even though Horatio Bonner, after he wrote that song years later, went crazy and yeah. became a big old heretic. You That's know? right. So uh, anything else on that before we move on to the third yeah, little point there? I just want to point out that we do this to varying degrees with all sorts of Christian teachers. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to go back to John Piper... Uh, I love the brother dearly. If he wrote a book on polity, oh yeah, on like how a church should biblically function and be structured, yeah. I would tell people not to read it. Yeah, because uh, I just think he's flat out wrong on that. Yeah, um, and I do think uh, in Tabidi's case that that his 
what we would call wokeness yeah. has actually affected his ministry in many ways. Yeah. And yet I just watched a video on from him the other day on on deacons running churches in, in Southern Baptist circles yeah. and just how bad that is. And it yeah. was an excellent video. Uh, and, and when you say, you know, I still use that in my congregation, we have to think too, uh, Sixth Avenue Church is a church that's thought well about these mm. issues, is mature enough spiritually yeah. to take a book from Thabiti and be like, uh, okay, this is really good, uh, but when he talks about this, 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 and this, I need to be cautious. Yeah. Whereas a church that's you know on the edge of flirting with the world, flirting with wokeness, may not be spiritually mature in this area. Maybe it would be wise to not reference Thabiti's books. I agree. Um, one more thing that wasn't in the notes. You know what really grinds my gears? Let's hear it. Uh, when conservatives try to uh, protect their guys and go after you for slight compromises, like using a book by Thabiti. Yeah. So let me give you an example. Jonathan Edwards owned a slave. Um, George Whitfield not only owned slaves, but advocated for slavery. Uh, Martin Luther, anti-Semitism, need I say more. Ulrich Zwingli advocated for the murdering of Anabaptists. I could just keep going on yeah. and on. Uh, John Calvin surveyed us, right? We all have these these people that we go, oh yeah, they were big time flawed and they screwed up a lot with this, that, and the third. But by and large, we still think that they were Christians, and yes. a lot of what they said and did was said and did was useful. So we're just gonna we're gonna receive them, yeah. and we're still gonna use their resources. But I use a book by Tabidi, and all of a sudden now I'm going woke. Yeah, right. Okay, number three. Uh, people who are so on edge about wokeness that they are now allergic to biblical words and categories like justice and righteousness. Can, yeah. can you elaborate on that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, at the <clears throat> risk of sounding like we're, we're straw manning a little bit here, yeah. I've done this. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've grown so irritated at the wokeness and the way that it's changed in redefined terms and in many ways kind of co-opted biblical language and made it something else yeah. uh, that I found myself in, in teaching and, and occasionally preaching coming across these biblical words and just wanting to avoid them mm -hmm. uh, or hearing people use them and unfairly assuming, well, he's in the oh, yeah. camp. He's one of them. And so I, I just think it's important to protect ourselves from that. I just think we need to be careful not to be so concerned with wokeness and its influence that we avoid talking about things that we should talk about. Amen. Uh, you don't need to turn every single sermon uh, into a discussion on civil rights right. and the history of segregation. In fact, if you did that, yeah. there would be something very wrong with your ministry. Yeah. But there may be a point in time where you preach a text and that's a very useful illustration or yeah. application. You shouldn't be afraid to talk about that because you're worried about becoming woke. First of all, thank you for being transparent about uh, your struggles with that. Let me share one of mine. I have uh, even recently found myself using an illustration about the South where we live in Alabama, our history uh, of, of racial injustice as an illustration in one of my sermons. And as I was preparing it, I thought, oh, I thought about a couple of different people in the congregation. I thought, I wonder what they're going to think about this. That's yeah. not good. No. Yeah. Right? Uh as a pastor, I just need to be able to call a spade a spade and not be hyper concerned that people are going to interpret my words wrongly. Yeah. You know, so I think uh, I experienced this when I came out of the prosperity gospel. I was so messed up by that that um, you know anything related to Satan and, spir and and spiritual warfare. Yeah. I was just like, no, no, no. I have good theology, right? right? right. And uh, but listen, just because that stuff was abused. Uh, and I was, and I suffered under that. Doesn't mean that that's not a valid category. That's right. Right now, just because 
Well, and this is what makes wokeness so dangerous is that it it's parasitic on true biblical yes. uh, virtue. It, it seeks to poison these biblical words and yeah. terms and concepts to yeah. where we want nothing to do with them. Yeah, that's right. And so the honestly, brother, you will let wokeness win if you start responding in this way. Yeah. No, we're not going to abandon the word justice. We're going to reclaim it, and we're going to make sure we're being ruthlessly biblical in the way that we apply this term. Yes. Okay. As we wrap up this first point of our experience, uh, I, there's something really significant that I want to make sure that our our, uh, our listeners and our viewers understand. Some people are so on edge about wokeness that they end up exhibiting the same behavior that they decry in those who are woke. So let me give you an example. I've had people level accusations against me in the, in not too long ago that I am not as against wokeness as I should be, right? I think that's laughable, right? I've said that I'm absolutely 100% opposed to wokeness. Well, if, if anybody heard the off-color jokes that you tell when those cameras <laughs> cut off... Not going to talk about that, Just but if kidding. anybody's seen what's happening when the cameras are on, right, <laughs> our episodes that we've recorded about yeah. critical theory and critical race theory before anybody was really talking about that, yep. it should be pretty clear where I stand. But for some of these people, because I will still use a resource right. or whatever, um, that's not enough. And so in accusing me in this way, these people may not realize that they're doing exactly what critical race theorists do, for example. So uh, critical race theorists will say, you have to be opposed to racism. Yes. And I'll be like, oh, I... No, totally. I right am. Right there with you. And then they'll be like, no, you're not against it enough. And I'm like, well, I don't really know what else I can do here. Yeah. Same thing, right? You're not opposed to wokeness. No, I very much am. You're not opposed enough. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm not trying to say that I found the perfect Aristotelian mean that I've arrived and I have it, but I'm pretty against it. Yeah. You know? So anyways... Just recognize, friends, that in your righteous uh, opposition to wokeism, you can be doing it in such a way that is essentially just aping the left. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about history now. The second lens through which we're going to view these. Yeah, my wife is like, next. There are two things that we want we want our viewers to see as we ex examine this current phenomenon through the lens of history. And uh, it's, it's, first of all, the danger of an overzealous reformation. And then second, uh, the example of love between reformers who maybe didn't see eye to eye. Okay, So let's look at that first one, the danger of overzealous reformation. Russell, who were the Anabaptists? Overzealous reformers. They were overzealous <laughs> reformers. Uh, yeah, the, the Anabaptists uh, were some of the most colorful heretics of your church history in, yeah. uh, in the Reformation period. Yeah, and it's of course we're you know we're lumping them all together. Yes. Uh, the tr the fact is is that we're here today because of the Anabaptists right. and because they rejected infant baptism, but uh, you know they also did a bunch of really crazy things. It, yeah. It's important to remember that the Reformation wasn't really a Reformation; it was a series of Reformations, and different people were doing different things in different ways in different places. Yeah. Luther conducted the Reformation one way in Germany. Zwingli did it uh, another way in in uh, Switzerland. John Knox did it his own way. I did it my way. He probably sung that song <laughs> in Scotland. And uh, the Anabaptists, who were kind of all over the place, they were doing some pretty crazy things, for example. And, and they're the ones, that, the crazy Anabaptists are the ones that we remember. Yeah, technically they were all called the radical reformers. Yes. Uh, and there's various expressions of them. But um, they did things like embracing and instituting communism. They took over entire cities by the sword. They instituted polygamy. They they raised cities, towns, and churches to the ground. Yep. 
Anything else you want to add to they, that? Uh, they're, some of their leaders claimed to receive new revelation and yeah. ran naked through the streets. <laughs> yes. It would have been a crazy time to be alive. Yeah. Um, certain Anabaptists, not all of them, but certain Anabaptists were so unwise in the way that they pursued the godly cause of Reformation that they turned everyone against them, right? It got so bad that not only were the Roman Catholics trying to kill him, but also all the magisterial reformers. I so, mean, so you're saying that if you disagree with wokeism, you're as bad as the Anabaptists? Dude, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Moving on to the next point. No, no, the, the, the point is, is that we've seen throughout church history, and this is just one example of many, that you can have a righteous cause, mm-hmm. right? So the Anabaptists, they had many good points, and they were overall part of the Reformation, which was bringing the gospel back to life in Europe. But the way that they tried to champion all of those things, it ended up hurting them significantly. That's right. Um, and so you can be against wokeness in a way that is really, really damaging to the cause that you're trying to give your life over to. You know, a little bit of wisdom, you know, to, to be paired with that zeal can go a long way. Amen. Anything you want to add to that? No, that's good. Uh, the second example of, uh, of not handling Reformation... With, with the wisdom of God, uh, would be uh, our hero, Martin Luther himself. Um, I want to talk about the what happened between Luther and Zwingli in their controversy around uh, the Lord's Supper. Luther and Zwingli had different views of the Lord's Supper. Uh, they both rejected transubstantiation. Uh, the bippity boppity boop magic thing that happened yeah. according to the Roman Christ Catholics. Christ is re-crucified for you. Mm. Yeah. Um, and they should have had unity in that. Right, even if they arrived at varying, you know, different understandings of what exactly the Lord's Supper was, they should have said, "Well, we we reject that nonsense." So we're definitely on the same team. And and Zwingli tried to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luther wanted consubstantiation, which is just transubstantiation. But that's for another episode. Uh, it's in and under and around. Mm-hmm. What are, what are we doing? A lot here? of prepositions. <laughs> and then Zwingli, he had the view that most nearest to what we hold, yes. the memorial view. Um, and Luther completely discounted Zwingli as a brother in Christ, as a champion of the gospel, as a legitimate reformer, uh, because they didn't agree on a secondary matter like the Lord's Supper. Uh, which, which was secondary only because they neither one of them held a view of the Lord's Supper that was counter to orthodoxy. Exactly, yeah. So in this instance, yes. it was absolutely secondary. Um, and here's the thing about Luther. Luther had the tendency of assuming that uh, anybody who uh, disagreed with him was not of God, but of Satan, okay? And so when it came to the Lord's Supper and uh, his disagreement with Zwingli, Luther says this. You ready for it? I cannot regard Zwingli or any of his teachings as Christian at all. You see that kind of superlative, comprehensive language? I cannot regard any of his teachings as Christian at all. Right? He neither holds nor teaches any part of the Christian faith rightly and is now seven times more dangerous than when he was a papist. Seven. <laughs> the number of completion. Yeah. That's a load of crap. Yeah. Right? That's a crock. Zwingli was a fantastic reformer. He had his issues. Mm-hmm. I think the Lord's Supper was where he got it exactly right. Yeah. But for Luther to say that this brother who was giving his life to reinvigorate the gospel and to rescue God's people from the Roman Catholic Church, that he didn't have anything right and that he was seven times more dangerous than the papists? That's friendly fire. It's friendly fire. It's exactly what we're talking about. And the point is, is that we're seeing that right now with some of 
people on our side of the social justice the debate. The, anybody that they think is wrong about anything related to social justice, they'll say, you're, you're just like Satan. You're, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're a Marxist. We could just keep going. Anything yeah. you want to add to that? Well, I just, I want to point out that, uh, to be fair, that is a characteristic that we see from the woke camp in its worst corners. That's true. You reject their view of racism. Well, then you're a closet white supremacist who couldn't possibly be a follower of Christ. Yeah. And so what we're saying to our to our tribe now yes. is, hey, guys, don't copy them in that. Yeah. Uh, stop doing that. Yeah. It, it display Christian fruit and charity as you as you do this, the fruit of the spirit. Um now I want us to consider a better way forward. Okay, so we've kind of seen two examples from the Reformation of how you can carry out legitimate Reformation in an illegitimate fashion, okay? Uh, but I want to talk about a better way forward in, in our buddy, John Calvin. Uh, please leave your comments about Michael Servetus uh, down below. Um, let's talk about the relationship between Calvin and Luther. We, we, we saw earlier, Luther loved a good fight, right? And he always seemed to find one. He was constantly fighting. Calvin, on the other hand, he loathed controversy, and he would only engage in it when he felt compelled to do so by a sense of Christian duty. Now, here's the thing. Luther would say that he only engages in conflict because of his sense of Christian duty as well, but uh, Luther was involved in more theological controversies than Jesus, you know? So I think temperamentally, they were just very different. Right. Uh, now, uh, I want us to see something in Calvin, something wise, something godly, something worthy of our imitation. Writing of Luther, uh, Calvin said this, I reverence Luther, but I am ashamed of him. And so I think I'm at a place right now, brother, where I can see some people on the same side of the debate as I am on social justice stuff. And I could say, oh, I reverence what you're doing, but the way that you're doing it, I, honestly, I'm a little ashamed. Mm. Um, and so anyways, Calvin says, I reverence him, but I'm ashamed of him. And th then he goes on to say that Luther has this, this craving for victory, this haughty manner, abusive language, and insolent fury. Am, am I being inaccurate or am I maligning my brothers and sisters when I say that I, I'm seeing that on our side of the aisle? Uh, no. And I've seen brothers and some pastors and some evangelical talking heads that that do seem very much to cap be captured by that quote if you just scroll through their twitter feed it's it's all heat yeah no light all heat all the time and yet when he wrote to bullinger calvin had this to say of luther consider how great a man luther is and what excellent gifts he has the strength of mind and resolute constancy the skill efficiency and theological power he has used in devoting all his energies to overthrowing the reign of the Antichrist, that's the papacy, and to spread far and near the teaching of salvation. I've often said that even if he called me a devil, I would still regard him as an outstanding servant of God. And so what we have here is Calvin recognizing that God could use Luther even with some of his uh, character defects, right? Even yeah. with some of this these strains on his ministry. Which is, I think, how the Lord uses this podcast. Amen, brother. <laughs> and and just to be clear, I mean, I I recently saw someone basically do this. Mm -hmm. uh, this this brother is a faithful minister, and he has been attacked publicly in print. And somebody asked him, "What do you think about so and so and what they've said about you?" And his response was, "I think they're doing good work for the gospel. I disagree with them. I wish they wouldn't have done that, but I pray that that the Lord continues to bless their ministry and that people get saved." Amen. Now, there's one more thing that we should mention about the Reformation before we move on and. 
But that's the example of Philip Melanchthon. Never pronounced that right. Did I do it? Melanchthon. Uh, Nick Needham, uh, uh, the author of a fantastic four-volume series on church history, he has said that Philip Melanchthon was the golden chain linking the two supreme figures of the Protestant Reformation together, Luther and Calvin. They never met, and they had varying degrees of, of differences about doctrinal matters, uh, but, but Melanchthon was friends with them both, right? And so what we need, I think we've seen that in one of our close friends, Mark Dever, right? He uh, has not written off people that he thinks has probably gone left of him on certain things when it comes to wokeness. And he's still friends with John MacArthur. And what everyone, I think, in, 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 in these camps want is for him to say, you know, I renounce one or the other. But the fact is, is that he is a friend of anyone who is a true friend of the gospel. And that's what yep. we should be. We should all try to be like Philip Melanchthon. All right, let's wrap this up with the most important consideration, the consideration of Scripture. There are three issues we need to discuss here. Naming false teachers, theological triage, and then the Lord's servant. So naming false teachers. Russell, real fast, does the Bible say that we should name false teachers? Not explicitly. Not explicitly, but by way of example. We get a lot of examples of the Apostle Paul naming false teachers. We have him writing to the Ephesians to expose the works of darkness. Yeah, it's pretty clear. Uh, it's pretty right. clear that that is an acceptable practice. Is there anything in the Bible about uh, naming people who are wrong about secondary matters of doctrine, like making it a point to go after them publicly and naming names? Yeah, not that I'm aware of. No, that doesn't mean that they can't be named, especially if they're doing ministry in the public space and they're yes. writing things for public consumption and for the edification of the church Absolutely. and the training of ministers. We can respond to them in kind. Uh, but just to be clear, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be... The, it's not the same tone, the same intensity. Well, well, the language Paul uses when he talks about essentially naming false teachers yeah. is to mark these. Mm. So to mark them out, to yeah. identify them in such a way... Uh, that the the flock will know who they are. They are dangerous. And they will not fall victim to their deceit. Yeah. And so to mark someone is very different than to take a brother who we're not marking Yes. Uh, and disagree with that person publicly. Yeah. So if you are a faithful Christian minister and you have a public platform and you believe in white privilege, I don't really have to mark you. <laughs> right, right. What it might mean is I might give your book on prayer away. That's a really good book on prayer. And I might just give a little qualification as I do. Right. Yeah. He believes a little, one or two things that are a little wonky in other areas, but this book is still phenomenal. Right. Okay. Next, theological triage. Tell us real quick uh, what scripture has to say about theological triage. Yeah. We've already mentioned this. Uh, scripture speaks of things of first importance. Mm -hmm. And those things of first importance are the non negotiables of the Christian faith. Yeah. If you don't believe those things, I cannot in, in, I can't affirm your profession of faith. Yeah. Uh, if you believe those things, even if we disagree about some other stuff, mm -hmm. uh, based on your beliefs, I can affirm that those are Christian beliefs. Uh, and then there's, you know, those would be like secondary issues, uh, yeah. things that are very important, perhaps even essential to unity in a local church. Things yeah. like your views on baptism, views on the Lord's Supper, yes. views on uh, who is and isn't qualified to be a pastor, stuff like that. And then there's tertiary, you know, even less importance to yeah. unity in faith and unity as a you know practical body. Yeah. And those would be things like, what do you think of the end times? Yeah. Are you ah mill, post mill, pre mill? Pan mill. mill. Uh, what do you out. what do you what do you think about uh, gun control? Right. What do you think? About, I mean, just stuff that yes, you can reason to strong positions from from biblical principles. Yeah. But nothing in that should be binding and determinate of whether or not you are in the faith. 
So can critical race theory be used as a useful analytical tool? We say... Absolutely not. Uh, that's a secondary matter. Maybe even tertiary, honestly. It, it just depends on who's saying it and why they're saying it. Yep. But so what we want to say is that even some of our friends who would agree with us on that, that, okay, you're right, it's not a matter of orthodoxy, yet somehow the way that they're behaving themselves towards those with whom they disagree about these things, they still are kind of putting off the vibe like it is a matter of first importance, yep. right? Um, if you'll have friendly cooperation with your Presbyterian brother down the street and not think twice about it, but you won't, with the same guy who has the same gospel beliefs. He, you know, complementarianism, the authority of Scripture. We could just go on and on as the Presbyterian guy, yet he believes something a little different about race than you, and now you can't fellowship with him. Well, even though you say you agree with us, in your actions you're actually doing something different. Yep. And then finally, the Lord's servant. Russell, uh, I hope that our people get good and tired of hearing me talk about this, because the Apostle Paul says to the Philippians that to, to write the same things again is no problem for him, and it's beneficial for them. And as a pastor, uh, and and when you were a pastor, brother, we know that we just have to repeat ourselves. We have to yep. say the same things over and over again. And so uh, we need to repeat ourselves on 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Uh, these are the instructions for the Lord's servant. He must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Russell, just give us a quick summary of, of what this verse means and why we are citing it here today to close out this episode. We as the church are Christ's representatives on earth mm. today. And the way that we live, the way that we show supernatural charity and love and kindness towards our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, and, and even our and, enemies who and, are not brothers and sisters. And especially our enemies. Yes. Uh, is, is a draw that pulls the attention of the watching world to the gospel. Mm. It's been said many times that uh, the, the church and the way that we interact with the world and with one another is sort of like the setting of the ring that holds the diamond of the yes, gospel and right. draws the eye to that diamond. Yes. Uh, and we should seek to be that. And we're going to struggle to be that if we don't follow teachings like we, we just saw in second Timothy. Have a firm spine, right? Be yep. willing to have a prophetic voice, but a prophetic voice is not necessarily a nasty voice, yes. right? Um, in your effort to champion the gospel and protect it from wokeness, you may be going about it in such a way that is going to do more damage in the end. And I think we've we've explored that through our experience, through church history, and through uh, some scriptural principles. Uh, brother, it's it's our prayer, is it not, that uh, people who agree with us on, on these things will uh, have the character, the Christian character and disposition that will make people want to be on the same side as them. Amen. All right, let's end it there. Uh, hey, if you voted for this video to be the next one that we did, uh, you should share this and you should like it and then you should leave yeah, a comment. Yeah, we didn't do this for nothing. We didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, our last video I think has like 12 views. So yeah. you guys got to make this one move. All right. Thanks, Signing off. Thanks for listening.